quite frankly, you really can't control anything but your mind and emotions. And that takes work. That takes a lot of work. Now, many of you know that I've tested a few products uh, that have had a benefit in my life, and so I'm willing to promote them to you guys. And the latest product that I've tested is a neurostimulation device called Halo. Halo will actually electrically stimulate the movement area of your brain to help you improve your movement performance. It can be used for CrossFit applications or rucking or running. And I recently did a podcast with the founder, Dr. Daniel Chow. So you can check it out there to learn more. But at any rate, the company has graciously offered a discount to our listeners. So you can get $125 off the Halo. And I really want you guys to try this product because it works. It's being used by some professional sports teams. It's being used by some Olympians, like the Olympic bike team. And uh, like I said, mentioned CrossFitters and the Navy SEALs are using this product now as well. And so in order to get $125 off the Halo Sport, go to haloneuro.com, haloneuro.com, and use the promo code UNBEATABLEMIND125. Go to haloneuro.com and on checkout, enter the code UNBEATABLE125. That's UNBEATABLE125. So check it out, haloneuro.com, UNBEATABLE125. You're going to love this product if you're into performance gain. hoo divine out. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Devine with the Unbeatable Mind podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I super appreciate it. I know your time is valuable. We got lots of cool things to talk about today and we are doing a solo cast today. So I'm taking a little break from the guests, giving them a breather from me. And today we're going to talk about fear and courage. How do we overcome fear and develop courage in our life? So this is going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to the conversation and hopefully you'll get something out of it. And if you do, pass it on. Let other people know about the podcast and about our work here at SealFit and Unbeatable Mind. A great way to do that is send them to our website, unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. They can check it out there, uh, download a podcast from there or iTunes or Google Play or a number of other places. And also uh, get on our email list because that's where you get notified of all the cool offers, such as our Unbeatable Mind Summit, which is coming up in the fourth quarter in early December, and our Unbeatable Mind Online Academy, which uh, continues to amaze and humble me how powerful that has been to transform, uh, help transform people or help people transform their lives in all areas. So my question is, what is fear? What is fear? I've always loved the acronym uh, false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R, or false expectations appearing real. I heard that one from my friend Tony Blauer. And so one way to look at fear is that you have a an unrealistic expectation or a false expectation or unrealistic evidence of what's um, about to happen or about uh, something in your life. And so therefore, you're taking information in and you're, proce- you're, you're processing it improperly. And so this leads to what I call a gap. And fear essentially is a gap between the known and the unknown or between a false expectation and a real, you know, in reality or a false evidence in reality. And so, you know, in this, in this kind of level of definition, basically we're saying that fear is bullshit and, you know, it's made up. 
And that, you know, if you just shed light, a little bit of light on that which you fear, you'd realize there's nothing to fear at all. And I think, you know, there are certainly things that fall into this category, you know, like I lo- the metaphor of, you know, peeking your head into the the barn door and seeing a coiled snake in the corner because the lights are out and it's kind of, you know, dark and or you can't see very well and, and, you're, and you're terrified of getting bitten by a snake. A lot of people are afraid of you know, animals that have sharp teeth, that's pretty normal. Uh, That's another kind of fear. But this is, you know, this is the false evidence appearing real because when you flip on the light and you realize it's actually a coiled rope, then you you feel like a dumbass. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I got all scared over a coiled rope because I thought it was a snake. So, you know, I guess the first thing to ask yourself when you're experiencing some fear-based reaction is, is it a false expectation or false evidence appearing real? An example of a false, so that's an example of false evidence, right? The the snake, you know, is not, is actually a rope. A false expectation would be to think that, you know, uh, you're going to go up and, you know, you've got a speech to give and everybody's going to judge you. Everybody's going to ponder every single word you have to say. And if it's not utterly brilliant and and groundbreaking and, you know, shocking them and like transforming them, that they're going to hate this speech and they're going to hate you and they're going to boo you off the stage. Well, that's, that's a false expectation. You know, most people are there to, to be entertained, you know, when they're listening to speakers and, you know, they're frankly more interested in themselves and you know, they're going to cut you a lot of slack. And so, one, you know, people tend to think that public speaking is just extremely hard and, you know, you're going to get really judged. And the point is that people are actually pretty kind to you if you're kind to them and, and sensitive to their time and sensitive to the fact that, you're, you know, you're just trying to uh, be real and, and share some information. So there's a false expectation there that could appear real to you, which is creating anxiety or tension for you around speaking. A couple interesting examples there. Uh, other gaps between the known and the unknown exist, of course, and there's a whole slew of these, you know. And, and I think it's interesting to kind of trace the root of the fear of the unknown back a little bit. But before we do that, let's talk about some other gaps. So let's see, fear of heights. That's a good one. So fear of heights. It, it makes sense that one would have a fear of heights because of the law of gravity, right? Law of gravity doesn't work in your favor the higher you go, right? If you're, at a, if you're two feet high, then the law of gravity isn't going to have much of an impact if you step off that height. But, you know, if you're 20 stories high, yeah, big impact, literally. Uh, so there is this fear of the unknown of what, you know, what happens, A, on an impact, like if you did slip or slide or fall, and B, of unknown safety factors, right? And trust in, in people who are maybe setting up the risk management or safety factors if you're going to go high, like if you're going to go to the top of the uh, World Trade Center or the Empire State Building, it's, uh, it's a gap in the unknown to think, okay, what is it going to be like up there? Is there a railing? You know, can I slip through the railing or over it? Uh, what, what are the safety protocols? Uh, what am I going to f- you know, feel like and experience you know, that many stories above Manhattan? And so this gap creates an anxiety or tension, which we can experience as fear, the fear of heights, right? Some people have a tremendous fear of heights. You might be one of them. And there's, so there's good reason for that. But when you trace that back, what we're really talking about is a, is a certain anxiety. The, the experience, that tension you feel is an anxiety feeling, right? It's a feeling uh, of constriction in your stomach and 
heart region and you know your your eyesight and kind of narrows so all the the fight or flight symptoms come into play when you experience these fear moments and so really what we're talking about is is a sympathetic reaction which causes anxiety uh, an extreme imbalance right because of the hormones and the you know the the systemic things that are happening in your body and so um, and then anxiety then is getting translated due to this gap between the known and the unknown or false expectations or false evidence is appearing real and it's getting translated into uh, what we would call an emotional energy or an emotional language and then uh, then cognitively we relate that and we say oh that's fear because uh, you know what is causing that is this height that I've got to go to you know let's say I've got to jump out of an airplane for the first time and I'm terrified of heights because of the unknown, then it causes this massive anxiety uh, experience through our sympathetic nervous system. And then, you know, our, that, that encounters, I should say, our cognition, which, you know, is going to then further interpret it in a way that's going to be probably detrimental, right? Because you've got some inner dialogue around that anxiety. So that's how we experience fear, like an intense anxiety or, you know, it doesn't have to be intense, but it could be low grade that then gets put through our cognitive faculties, our neocortex, and you know we then have a certain set of thought patterns that interpret that as bad and as you know as a fear thing, something that we fear. But ultimately, you know, when when it comes down to it, there's only a couple things that I can think of that we're anxious about. But then the, these two things cover a lot of territory. The first is anxiety around loss, anxiety around loss. So the fear of heights is, is so powerful because the, the thing that we're afraid of losing is our life, right? So, and same thing with the snake. So loss of life really is one of the, probably the biggest driver of fear. But then there's also other losses that are very powerful too. Like in the, in the context of giving that public speech, it's loss of reputation. You know, don't, nobody wants to get booed or laughed out of a room, right? And so we have this false expectation around, you know, what the audience is going to think of us. And so we, you know, that creates a tension or anxiety around loss of reputation. You know, many uh, warriors experience tension and anxiety around loss of liberty. I mean, not just warriors, but those of us who grew up in a free society fear loss of liberty. And so we don't trust you know, societies where, you know, liberty is constricted or taken away and we'll fight for that. So there's another one. We are fearful of loss of liberty, which is essentially autonomy because we really value autonomy and freedom. And so loss of freedom or autonomy is, is something to fear or, they, you know, it creates the anxious uh, tension of fear. Loss of happiness, right? That's another interesting one. Like, so, you know, if you're feeling generally happy, then, you know, you don't want that taken away. And so you'll you'll go to great pains to avoid losing those things that make you happy, right? And what are those things? Well, friends, um, toys, you know, this is generally, these are generally kind of egoic uh, stage development issues, but they're, you know, they create a genuine sense of fear. Uh, another great example is wealth, right? So if you've got wealth, uh, let's say it's, it's not hard-earned wealth, but it's like it came too easy. So maybe it was, it was handed to you in a trust fund or or someone earned it in a lottery, or you know, you know, young financial executives who just hit it big, but hadn't really uh, maybe cultivated the character and gone through several periods of loss. You know, where you know you had a million bucks, then all of a sudden you didn't, so you had to make it back, and then all of a sudden you didn't, and then you know now you're on your third round. 
which is kind of like my, my situation, which is pretty funny. So at any rate, loss of wealth, you know, so people will hoard it and they'll fear that loss and that, and that creates a lot of stuck energy and anxiety around, you know, even the smallest modicum of wealth or just, you know, uh, what that represents. Loss of friendships. That's another really interesting one, right? Loss of friends. You know, even if the friend isn't serving someone well, uh, people will often stay in a relationship for a long period of time, you know, in a codependent sense, because they just fear, you know, the loss. They fear what would happen. They fear being judged, you know, there's all sorts of things around that. So anxiety around loss is a major cause of this experience we call fear. This podcast is graciously supported by my buddies at Ample, which is my new MRE or meal ready to eat. If you haven't checked out Ample yet, go to amplemeal.com. Now Ample is not just a protein shake. It's a complete meal in a bottle. It includes all the fiber and healthy fats and protein and carbohydrates that you need in the right combinations from the right sources. I love this product. It's become my go-to for baseline nutrition, and I have one a day before my morning training sessions. Life can get a little crazy, but that's okay, and Ample makes eating healthy on the go so much easier. Just add water and three, two, one, go. Now Ample's offering a 15% discount off your first order. So go to amplemeal.com if you want to try this out. Type in the code UNBEATABLE15, UNBEATABLE15. You can get a 400 or 600 calorie complete meal in a bottle made from superior real food ingredients and it's designed for optimal nutrition for folks like us. It's non-GMO, no artificial crud, no gluten, no soy. Now they know how much I love this product and they want you to try it too. So go to amplemeal.com, type in the code UNBEATABLE15 to get 15% off your first order. Hoo-yah. Give it a try. And then the other one is not losing something, but anxiety around not having something, like not having enough of something. So back to the money. So you can have anxiety around having wealth or too much wealth and losing it, or you can have anxiety around poverty and not having wealth. And guess what? That anxiety and that fear usually traps someone in poverty because they obsess about it. And then, you know, most of us on this call or this podcast know that if you obsess about something and put a lot of energy into it, chances are that you're attracting that into your life at some level, right? Or creating that. Uh, Another one is worthiness, right? The feeling that you're not worth a lot, right? Or not worth a certain level of respect. And maybe it's because you haven't earned it, right? So maybe you don't feel worthy as a young warrior because you haven't earned the trident or you haven't, you know. But generally speaking, that that self-worth is coming from somewhere else. It's not just because of the outward, you know, objective reward or accomplishment that you don't feel worthy, right? Like when I went through SEAL training, I felt worthy to be a SEAL. And I've talked about this at length with uh, In Unbeatable Mind and in, in, in my podcast. I felt worthy because I had, you know, felt like I had won it in my mind beforehand. You know, I, I'd done the work and um, I really, you know, humbly went through that program feeling worthy to be a SEAL. So I didn't have the uh, low sense of self-worth around that. But other people did. They just didn't feel worthy to be a SEAL, even though they had the physical skills to do it. And I think that lack of self-worth or, you know, um, confidence, you know, we could call it, was, you know, a large reason for their failure. 
of not, you know, not becoming a seal. And then another one, you know, not thinking that you're lovable enough or that you're, you know, capable of being loved. And this is one that sticks people into, you know, dysfunctional relationships and, you know, going after people or pursuing relationships that are not going to be healthy for them because they just feel like they're not, you know, up to the level of maybe someone who they should or could be with. So anxiety and fear about not being enough. That's another really interesting one. And I'm sure there's others, but, and I'd love to hear feedback on this, you know, uh, on the Facebook group. This is, uh, these are the big ones that I can see. Anxiety of losing something, anxiety of actually not having something. I mean, that's pretty, those are pretty broad and, and they cover a lot of territory. Another thing that causes uh, this tension that we'll call fear is this need or desire for control, right? And not experiencing that control. Now, this is a big one that we work with in Unbeal Mind, right? Because, you know, quite frankly, you really can't control anything but your mind and emotions. And that takes work. That takes a lot of work. And so, and everything's always changing, right? Life is, is a constant state of change and impermanence. And yet we have this false perception of things being stable or permanent. And when stable, things are stable and permanent and we like them, for instance, we have life, liberty, happiness, wealth, friendship, and love, then we want to kind of keep it that way. And so we tend to try to control the environment. We try to control the people in our environment and we try to keep it the same. We don't want it to change. And then guess what? Change comes anyways. And then we fear what's on the other side of that change because we don't know it and there's that gap again. So our desire to control the material world or or things outside of us leads to a lot of fear and anxiety because ultimately we can't control any of that stuff. And then we also fear that lack of control. And so it's like a double-edged sword. So uh, the warrior learns to realize that everything is impermanent, change is perpetual, and the only thing we control is our own ability to maintain a proper mental and emotional state around what's happening and a positive outlook, abundant positive outlook around the change that's happening. And, you know, that's essentially the definition of resiliency. And so resiliency leads to a degradation of fear and anxiety around those things we can't control or the gap, right, between the unknown and the unknown. Now, another way to look at fear is, and I think this is really interesting, is looking at fear in the context of time. What I've noted is that when I'm in a very present state, like right here, right now, whatever's arising, this moment, this moment, this moment, I am like in a state of pure awareness, pure energy, you know, a flow state. And in a flow state, I don't experience fear because fear I, I experience the energy that, you know, you might call anxiety, but I don't experience it as fear or as negative, right? I don't personally think that you can be in a negative state in a present moment flow state. I don't think it happens. I don't think it's possible. And I'd love to get some pushback on that. What I think, though, is what happens is the energy is transmuted into something that is useful, because in the present moment, we, we are in an action flow state. And so we're using the energy of the universe to accomplish a task, even if that task is sitting in meditation. 
And in that task state, the energy is experienced in a practical manner. And so what in a uh, past or a future state you experience as anxiety or fear, in that present moment state, you're going to experience as determination or just as uh, the energy of the flow, the movement of energy through you. And so this is a really interesting thing that I'm playing with. In a present moment state, energy flows through you. And you can tap into that energy. That's why you have so much power. And since the energy is flowing through you, it's not getting stuck and interpreted through your brain housing group, through your cognitive faculties as good or bad. It just is, right? It just is. And so um, you don't have you don't have the luxury to uh, process it as as anxiety and as fear because you're you're not stopping time to think about it and to go back into a past state or or into a future state to obsess about it. So I I believe that fear is your ego. It, you know, it stems from your ego's interpretation of past events or or potential future events, loss or gain, and you know the processing of that creates an interpretation of the energy and the energy gets stuck because it's not flowing because you've stopped time essentially by thinking into a past state or thinking into a future state. So that's an interesting uh, concept that I'd love to explore further sometime. This whole notion about how time will get us stuck when we begin to engage in too much past thinking or too much future thinking and move away from the present. And the presence always fuels energy as flow and engagement, and that's neither positive or negative. It just is. Or, or it's experienced more as, you know, I guess it would probably be experienced more as positive, but, you know, that's, that's something to be discussed a little bit further. So in this present moment state, if we freeze, you know, think about the fight or flight. Let's some, say something happens, a crisis. Boom, you know, there's a car accident right in front of you. And, you know, you were, you were in a present moment state, kind of maybe you're cruising along, box breathing, and everything's good. And all of a sudden, there's this accident, right? And so if you immediately freeze, right, and, and you jack your body up with adrenaline and epinephrine and everything that happens with the, the sympathetic nervous system in fight or flight or freeze, then immediately you click out of a present state and you go into a fear-based state, Right? thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen? This is now a future thing. But then, you know, some past memories of accidents or maybe like a past thought about your lack of training and how to do emergency response. Now that's all going to create doubt. And that doubt is going to widen the gap between the known and the unknown. What do I do? I don't know what to do. I'm not sure, you know, how to do this. Should I wait for the EMTs? I guess I'll call 911, right? And so now you're stuck in in a fear-based situation because you, you just don't know what to do. And so you've, you know, you've stopped all movement. You've fallen out of flow or you've pre- prevented potential flow. And what we've noticed, you know, through our training and as a, as a SEAL warrior is that movement, movement keeps you in a more present moment state because, you know, you're, you're essentially reducing your mission or your overall objectives down to like these micro tasks. And so you're constantly moving forward and learning in the present moment. And what we found is that movement eradicates doubt and then will help turn, you know, that fear of the unknown into determination. And so let's go back to the example of the crisis. You know, you see the car accident, you pull over, 
and you just think, okay, what can I do right now? Well, park the car. Okay, park the car. What can I do right now? Get out of the car and move toward, you know, the accident so you can assess the situation. Okay, you get in the accident. What can I do now? Well, assess the situation. Don't freak out. Control yourself. Control yourself, right? What can I do now? And so by asking yourself just what can, what's next? What can I do now? What's next? What can I do now? You're essentially taking a big problem, a big problem that has many, many moving parts and all sorts of, you know, perceived danger, and you're turning it into, you know, accessible chunks that can be dealt with in a more present moment, uh, determined manner, as opposed to freezing in fear. So, you know, you can overcome some serious fear-based situations, you know, like this. I'm thinking uh, of my friend who dealt with the active shooter situation in the school, and, and this is really kind of how it was happening, right? It's a, it's a situation that would send most people into complete fear lock, brain lock, and yet, you know, the trained warrior will essentially methodically move toward the threat, assessing the situation every way and just asking, what's next? What action right now can I take that's going to lead me, you know, closer to truth, closer to the knowledge that I need to, to solve the problem at the next level and then the next level and the next level. And through this way, you know, taking these micro steps, you can diffuse a crisis fairly easily or, you know, help help uh, people out of a, a you know, sticky situation. I only publicly support companies and products that I personally use and have found valuable. So I wanted to tell you about Qualia. Now, I'm not a supplement geek. I don't find them useful if I'm fueling properly. But when it comes to my cognitive strength and brain health, I am excited about the emerging industry of nootropic supplements. I've been testing Qualia, designed by my friends at the Neurohacker Collective, for several months now, and it's on the bleeding edge of nootropic research and has become the one supplement that I won't go without on a daily basis. Qualia stimulates what's called broad-spectrum cognitive enhancement, which involves optimizing multiple cognitive variables simultaneously rather than focusing on a single variable. For example, it brings me greater ability to focus and makes me feel more connected while not diminishing my overall awareness of the environment. I experience a systematic enhancement of my brain's ability to take in and process information without any stimulating effect, which would make me feel agitated like caffeine or depleted after the effect wears off. Now, for a busy entrepreneur and athlete like me, it's a no-brainer to invest in my brain health with Qualia. You can get on the Qualia bandwagon with me by visiting neurohacker.com, that's N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R, Dot com and use the code UNBEATABLEMIND15R, that's UNBEATABLEMIND15R, to get 15% off the life of your order. Trust me on this one, you won't be disappointed with Qualia. So that's kind of the practical side of how do you handle fear is, you know, to first assess what it is and understand what it is, this anxiety around loss or anxiety about not having enough and the desire to control that which we can't control. So the attitude is uh, getting clear that impermanence is the only thing that's permanent. Change is the only thing that we can't help from changing. And fear is basically your ego being stuck in a past or future state. And so in one way to to eradicate that energy or to get past that is to move forward, move toward the danger, move toward the sound of gunfire, move toward the crisis, move toward that which you fear. 
And when you move toward that, what you fear in micro bites, those micro goals or micro chunks, you learn about it. You get intimate with it. You, you know, you learn your way forward. You fail your way forward, right? This is the same principle as, you know, general success principle is, hey, you don't know how it's going to work out all the time, but if you're not moving forward, you're not learning. So move forward. Failure is not an option because it truly is not an option. It just doesn't exist. Failure is an old concept. It's rusty. Get rid of it. You know, turn anxiety into determination by moving forward. And that's, that's practical. I mean, literally moving toward it and by taking steps, real steps with your feet and real steps with your hands. But there's another way that you can simultaneously work to overcome fear and develop courage. And that is this whole notion of embracing the suck. So what we mean by embracing the suck is to take, it's a mental attitude to understand and appreciate what you perceive that you fear. So to understand, you know, an attitude to understand and appreciate that which you perceive you fear. That's what embracing the suck is. And so what that means is all the above, everything I've said earlier is germane in that first it helps to get or it's imperative to get clear about what it is you fear. But that, you know, most people have a sense they know what, what it is they fear, but in some cases, they just, you just don't know, right? The, the fear can be pervasive and you can't identify what it is that's causing it. So that's going to take a little bit more work, right? That's where contemplation and meditation and therapy will really help. Like if you have a broadening anxiety and you just can't pinpoint it, then you might need a little bit of more time for this embrace the suck principle to work. But generally speaking, what I'm talking about is when you can identify that which you fear. And, you know, it would work for loss of life, loss of liberty, you know, loss of wealth, friendship, love, anxiety around not being worth enough or worthy or lovable, as well as something just like, you know, I fear snake bites or I fear sharks or I fear that person, you know, for instance, even, or I fear getting in a fight. There's a lot of things that, that you could um, put into this category. And so this principle of embrace the suck it supports the movement in the present and because it's meant to be done kind of simultaneously, both in a run-up or in practice to overcome something you fear, like, I, you know, like fear of a, you know, public speaking. You're not going to overcome that just by getting up on stage once. So you move toward it time and time again in, in successive, you know, uh, ever more challenging steps, right? You might just talk to yourself first in the mirror and then you're going to go join you know, uh, Toastmasters, right, which is a pretty safe environment, and then maybe book your first gig, and then next thing you know, you're in front of 500 people. So those, you know, that's the movement moving toward, but while you're doing that, you're embracing the suck by essentially facing, visually facing, emotionally, energetically facing that which you fear, and then moving toward it, right, in that inner domain. Right, so this is similar to the concept of winning in your mind before stepping into the battlefield. And so let's use this speech example. You decide that you want to be, that you need to be a, a public speaker because you've identified that as being something you fear. And, and some people I've heard fear that greater than loss of life. You know, I doubt that's true, but I think, you know, frankly, it is something, you know, that, that causes a lot of anxiety and tension in people that is interpreted as fear. So let's say your first movement, your first outer movement is to decide that you're going to become a speaker. Now your first embrace the suck movement 
is to visualize yourself speaking and visualize the fear around speaking. So visualize yourself subjectively speaking and visualize this objective fear. And it could be like just a dark cloud or it could be the word in bold letters, you know, shining, speaking, or it could be an audience. And what you're going to do is visualize yourself merging with that which you fear. Okay. So in this sense, you're in training a new mental image and then you're going to add the dialogue, right? And so as you merge with that image, you're going to be saying to yourself, I got this, easy day, right? You're going to use the positive self-talk that we have talked about with Unbeatable Mind. You're going to get the internal dialogue to support that image. And then over time, you're going to add that emotional pattern to it. And so you, instead of feeling weak, you feel powerful. So you're, you're essentially what you're doing is, you know, in winning in your mind in this manner through embracing the suck is instead of doing something that you love to do and practicing it, you're doing something you hate to do or you're terrified of and you're practicing it and you're not just practicing it, but you're merging with that energy of what you fear until you get intimate with it in an internal state sense, meaning, you, you know, the energy of fear becomes, huh, you know, I got it. I feel that anxiety. I'm still here. I got this. The internal dialogue's there. And emotionally, I'm feeling powerful. And so what you're doing is taking the anxiety, the energy of that anxiety and the fear, and you're absorbing it and you're translating it into courage. It's coming out as courage. Because just the act of stepping into that cloud of fear or stepping onto that stage mentally and seeing the audience react to you positively is transmuting that negative anxiety into courage. That's cool. So we embrace the suck by using the big four skills, right? Of, you know, of course, breathing, you know, deep into your breath. That's going to begin the entrainment process. And then the internal dialogue saying, I got this easy day. We're going to do this piece of cake. And then that image of you merging with that, which you fear. And then, you know, the next task for you, which is the fourth of the big four, is to figure out how you can move toward it in the real world again. So that's, you know, then your next step might be to choose the, um, the Toastmasters, okay? Now you're going to continue the process of embracing the suck and merging with that which you fear. And by doing these two simultaneous, the outer movement and the inner movement, the working out and the working in, the moving toward through action and the embracing the suck uh, through imagery and, and internal dialogue and energy, you can eradicate pretty much any type of fear and turn it into more courage power, okay? Now, I've often stated that, you know, they, even, a, even a Navy SEAL feels fear when they jump out of an airplane. And I think, you know, what I've liked to kind of revise that statement and say, you know what, it, it's true, they feel the anxiety, they still feel that tension, but they've reinterpreted it now because they've done this forward motion through practicing and moving toward the fear, and they've embraced the suck by visualizing it and, and emerging with that fear. And so they wouldn't say they feel fear. What they would say is they feel a pit in their stomach, right? And that pit in their stomach is exciting to them, right? They've overcome the fear. But on that first jump, oh yeah, it was definitely fear. But on the 100th jump or the 500th jump, it's excitement, right? That energy of excitement. And also, you know, it keeps you alert and alive and you're very present. Okay, but you're not sitting there obsessing and sweating bullets and 
terrified about each jump. It doesn't happen that way. All right. I hope that was interesting. I certainly find this stuff fascinating and interesting. And if you like it and it's helpful, then pass it on and let other people know about the Unbeal Mind podcast. And we'll be doing more of these solo casts in the future. Thanks very much for your time. You guys are awesome. Train hard, stay focused, do the work every day. And I'll talk to you next time. Hoo-yah. Coach Devine out. Boys, time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the U.T.T. Oh.